Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It's episode 152. It is finally summer here in Boston. It has been a real shit spring of just constant rain uh, every day and a half or two days, and then it's cloudy, and they're just day after day, it's in the 50s, and just all of a sudden today, it decided that it's, what, 90 degrees outside? Uh, My phone said it was 94 94. Yeah. Excellent. So, yes, this is a, the first of a series of episodes where we're in a race with the air conditioning. <laughs> because uh, we, we tape in our basement next to the air conditioning system, so we have to shut it down in order to do the show. So it becomes a real race to do a good show, a quality show with lots of really interesting content, but not so much show that it's going to cost us $4,000 to cool the house back down when it's all said and done. Yeah, it's a, it's a race to see if we can get the show done before upstairs hits 80 Yes, <laughs> and we will certainly hear Parker, the mascot, at the door saying, I want to come down where it's cool, <laughs> so if we seem rushed, <laughs> it's purely so that we don't die. Yes. But, the, I mean, the good thing about summer is, this is one of those weird weeks in the summer where we just had Wonder Woman mm. uh, in a couple weeks, uh, was it like three weeks, July 4th weekend, we got Spider-Man Homecoming. That sounds right. But there's no big movie this week, so this week we're just going to talk about a few comic books, because there were a couple of pretty solid ones this week. Some crap, a certain amount of crap that we need to discuss. Spoilers, we're not going to bitch about Secret War this week, or Secret Empire, or whatever the Secret hell Empire, yes. So there was no new Secret Empire. Uh, there were a couple decent Marvel books this week, but yeah, Marvel sort of fell by the wayside as we were going through picking the ones that were surprisingly good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> one real surprise this week, uh, and a couple that, yeah, all right, we suspected it, and one's kind of a bummer, but there's a couple good ones. It's not going to be one of those shows where I'm just screaming into the microphone constantly. I can try to find a way to get you to do that. Oh, there's one book here that's going to make me do it, but, <laughs> but it's not every book, so. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a otherwise positive non-comics but geek-related news. We got the first teaser trailer to Black Panther. Yes. Which uh, looks pretty solid. I think there's, so. There's a there's one move where he's up against a moving car. I think where I'm like, oh, you really want to be Batman when you grow up. You're not. <laughs> you're not Batman. But this is very. No, he's, he's the king of Wakanda. This is really pretty solid. Yeah, <laughs> an opening scene with with Claw. Yeah, that's <laughs> interesting. I, I never pictured Claw that schlubby. <laughs> where where do we see him first? Was it a uh... Dazzler? No, not <laughs> <laughs> what In the. The Andy Circus version was oh. it Winter Soldier? Was it no? Civil? It was one of the Captain Americas, I think. It or was, was it Age of Ultron? Ul- it was Ultron. Okay, no wonder it's not very memorable. It was Ultron. <laughs> In the comics, it might have been Dazzler. Uh, no, it wasn't Dazzler. <laughs> <laughs> they went up against each other. Well, of course, light power versus sound power—that's a gimme. If somebody had smell power, she probably <laughs> went up against them. No, no. <laughs> I hadn't remembered that. <laughs> Do any supervillains have smell powers? Because that's not a superhero power trait. <laughs> um, urchin and the tick. The, the tick doesn't count. <laughs> Sewer urchin? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's his power, is it? I think it is. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Could be wrong. I'm pretty sure I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm trying to think Marvel, DC. Yeah, that smell thing is not a thing that you get. No. No. 
<laughs> Probably just as well. No, yeah. Try to think, you know, man thing. Now all all things burn at the touch of the man thing. At least they've managed, and they've managed to like not run out of ideas enough on the Marvel side. Oh, I'm an inhuman now. What's your power? Oh, I know what your power is. <laughs> I'm gonna step outside. <laughs> you know, I'd have preferred that over Ulysses and Secret War too. <laughs> What's your power? Oh, I stink like low tide on an unshowered day. <laughs> what does the future hold? Nothing good for me. Like that death flower that only blooms once every, what, 10 years, 100 years? Oh, something or... like that. Or that, or that stupid fruit. Corpse flower, that's what it's called. That stupid fruit that everybody on Durian. every cooking show that you watch, they, they go to Asia and it's like, I can't wait to eat the fruit that smells like an asshole. <laughs> no, but no, it tastes remarkable. I don't care what it, it smells like a dead guy. Why would you eat that? It smells like onions and, and avocados and a diaper. Oh, wait, you, you lost me there. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> Here, would you like to try our delicate local fruit? Oh, I wish I was dead. <laughs> yeah. We've gone far afield We already. have. We have gone. <laughs> and the sad thing is, that, yeah, when I dialed up the Black Panther trailer, there were, of course, the YouTube comments section is just a goddamn cesspool. It and, really is. And you get people, oh, I assume there will be a White Panther movie soon? Oh, there's a white tiger. He's Hispanic. Good luck to you. Yeah. <laughs> go watch Iron Fist. <laughs> there you go. Feel better about yourself. Oh, Iron Fist has never made anybody feel better about themselves. <laughs> even the dude playing Iron Fist is like, oh, you what guys just don't—you guys just don't get it. Yeah, and I get it. You're you're marking time until Defenders. Just give me the Defenders, goddammit. <laughs> I shouldn't be doing this show sober. It's not really going to work out for anybody. I could I could step away and grab you some whiskey. Nobody would need to know. Oh, people would know. They'd know in fairly <laughs> short order if I started switching to whiskey immediately. <laughs> All right, you want, you want to just move into some books? This let's, is, let's this may this. not be the longest show. Again, we're we're racing against uh, our own spontaneous human combustion. Yes, at this point, let's just go straight into rage, shall we? Let's that'll wake you up. Yeah. Uh, what book could possibly do that? That isn't Secret Empire. Oh, DK three, issue nine, mm. uh, written by Frank Miller, Brian Azzarello. Is, by, is this the end of this? This is uh, God willing. <laughs> Hopefully, nobody. It's it's not as bad as all that. It's not great. Yeah, written by Frank Miller and Brian Azzarello, art by Andy Kubert and Klaus Jansen. Uh, yes, this should be the end of DK3. Uh, everything is perfectly set up for Miller, Azzarello, DC as a whole to now take the Dark Knight universe and put additional stories into it, which I hope they will resist because nobody wants it. Watchmen can go fuck with that. Yeah, it's... <laughs> That alone should be a cautionary tale, although with Rebirth selling as well as it is, even with the Watchmen contingent, God only fucking knows what they're going to do. Yeah. But I do understand now why, even when we were at the uh, C2E2 where Azzarello announced DK3, and he was very specific even then that it's DK3. It's not Dark Knight 3. Uh, It's because this story has wound up being about as much about Superman as it is Batman. Mm. Now, that doesn't make it good uh, <laughs> in its own way. Uh, it, it was a terrible fucking idea. But so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're at the end of this. The Kandorians have been defeated. Batman's young again. And once again, the people of Earth are being protected by a Justice League full of real fucking douchebags. <laughs> Just real <Yeah>. scum. <laughs> I mean, your impressions before I start going on a it's awful over. tear. It, it is, in fact, over. It's over. It seemed like an opportunity to revisit panels from previous Dark Knight books 
and monetize them. <laughs> there definitely was that. Uh, the final panel in this book, spoilers, is a direct lift of the cover of Dark Knight Returns number one, mm. but with Carrie Kelly's silhouette also superimposed on it. And and frankly, that was kind of thrilling to me because that Dark Knight Returns, as flawed as it is, is still one of my favorite comics because it was you know hit me at prime time at sixteen years old, a complete reimagining of Batman yeah. to make him cool, uh, at least cool because the Batman movie still wasn't out and people were still taking uh, shit if you were in school and read comic books and were above eight years old. Yeah, so at least it was you know something there. Yeah, there were a couple of panels in DK3 as a whole that were really legitimately thrilling to me. That was one of them. The other, I think, was in issue three, right after the Kandorian said, you will give me power and worship me. Uh, And then Batman shows up on a giant full-page splash of a video screen saying, go to hell. (laughs) So I'll give the series that. There were a couple of really legitimately thrilling moments to me. And one of them's in this. I I liked seeing that page. As bald-faced, look, here, nostalgia as it was, I'm only human. What did you think of, uh, spoilers, by the way, if we haven't already. (laughs) Yeah. Think about the way that Batman took out the majority of the Kandorians by repurposing the old, I'll call in my bats. (laughs) I'm of mixed minds about it, because, yeah, it was a huge army of Kandorians coming for him, and Batman uses his Sonic right from uh, year one. Exactly. To call all the bats and the Kandorians freak out, and in an effort to rid themselves of these troublesome bats, panic and wind up blasting each other out of the sky with uh, heat vision. I'm of two minds, because number one, if you're Superman, Mm. you shouldn't really be all that terrified by a swarm of bats. You Uh, would think. However, having been trapped in the house one time with a bat... It's panic-inducing. Uh, yeah. it's a, Well, that's what I tried to keep in mind. I'm like, If I walked into a swarm of bees... Or, and they shit everywhere. Uh, yeah, and I don't know what they are, and they're disgusting, and yeah, I might panic, and uh, Jesus Christ, get away from I me. I think and, if I... I was house-sitting for a professor in college, and I think if I had had heat vision, I would have destroyed her house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... So I, I get it from a storytelling standpoint. It makes sense. Uh, on the other hand, it, the more I think about it, it's like, okay, it's another greatest hit moment. It's like, remember this thing in year one that everybody universally loves? We're going to do, huh? Aren't we, aren't we like year one? No. No, you're not. But <laughs> I thought that was all right. My first instinct was, come on. And then I thought, yeah, even if, even if somebody said, okay, we're releasing the bats, none of them have rabies, yeah. I, I wouldn't feel any better about being surrounded by bats. Yeah, did anything else? I got, I got, it's implied at the end that Superman has chosen to go off and... and Abandon Earth or see that's the problem with this withdraw from Earth. No, that's the problem with this whole fucking story's construction. Did you read the mini comic in the yeah? But that's just it. And then and then I read the mini comic at the end because as with all of these, I find the placement of the mini comic jarring to the the telling of a story that I'm already not excited about. Uh, Yeah, there's been more than one issue where if you stop to read the mini comic in the middle, it spoils the end of the issue that you're in. Yeah. Now, from a pure publishing standpoint, of I need to. As DC, construct this book with a mini-comic in it. I don't know how else you do it. Why can't you just have backup story, like all of these other comics? I don't know. I don't know why the decision was... I don't know if Frank Miller has some bug up his ass about mini-digest comics or something. Because it's not really a digest, because that implies like a, a Dark Horse Presents with a bunch of different stories. And this is just... Yet another story in the middle. Yeah. If it's an excuse for, okay, this little 
uh, I don't even know how many pages it is, eight, ten page thing, because Miller's done the art on at least a few of them. Fine, I can do that many pages. Yeah, maybe. Um, so fine, that'll be my goal. But I, I, I don't want to do the entire book, or I can't do the entire book. What I, I don't know what the logic is, but it really fucks up the flow. And by having this secondary story, it, it really caused me a problem with the Superman reveal in this book. In that, yes, here's information for the reader. Number one, presented out of order. Yeah. And number two, it's not information that anybody but the reader has. So Batman's attitude towards Superman at the end, which is pretty fucking nonsensical if you think about it, and I, I will certainly want to discuss that in a minute. Yes. It only makes sense if you have some of this information, which he clearly doesn't, that is in the mini-comic. Right. So, uh, yeah, the mini-comic thing has not worked for me from the beginning. It's you know, nice to get a certain amount of additional Frank Miller art in this ostensibly Frank Miller story. It's a 12-page mini, by the way. 12 pages. So, yeah, it, that, might, that might be Frank's goal. I could do 12 pages, small pages, <laughs> so I can't have it's too many panels. It's an excuse to make the book $6. Uh, there's no excuse for that. There's <laughs> <laughs> legitimately... <laughs> Let me go with one positive thing about this book before I start screaming about Superman. Wait, wait. Dark Knight 3, fleecing the line at $5.99. I just had to get that in there. Uh, You can write that down, I guess. (laughs) One of the positive things that I liked in this story uh, is that after three Dark Knight miniseries plus All-Star Batman and Robin, finally Miller kind of softens Batman a little bit. Mm. into something that's just Dirty Harry with a Batarang. I, it really bothered me an issue or two ago that Miller and Azarello used a plot contrivance to make Batman young again Yes, in the Dark Knight universe. And, and Batman has a certain amount of ambivalence and isn't happy that this was done to him. Yeah, a certain amount, or at least he says it, uh, but then again, there are certain things where he says, all right, well, embrace it. Uh, well, no, because there's an exchange between him and, and Superman where... He's like, I didn't ask for this. And Superman's like, All right, you got up the money. Sue me. See how that goes. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was one of the better moments in the book because yeah, at least it showed Superman with a sense of humor, which you don't get much of in this particular issue. But we'll yeah. get to that in a minute. What bothered me about it to start with is it felt cynical. It's like, well, if we're going to keep doing Dark Knight stories, Batman can't keep getting older. Right. We're going to have to do the old Marvel flip them back or sliding scale of age, which doesn't make sense because they've always sort of aged him yeah. in real time, so to speak, in the Dark Knight universe. So yeah, it just felt like, oh, you want to do more Dark Knight stories the same way you're doing more fucking Watchmen stories. So we we need to make Batman young. What we actually kind of get a little bit in this issue of, yeah, Bruce Wayne kind of taking the opportunity of being young again, showing that he's willing to learn Mm-hmm. He starts treating Carrie as a legitimate peer instead of just yet another soldier in his war. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the, remember the goddamn bat. There was a Twitter <laughs> account, the goddamn Batman. Yeah. The account still exists, but it, it really doesn't get updated very often. But he used to tweet every three or four days, lost another Robin today. And so like Robins were just disposable because it was supposed to be the, the Frank Miller Batman. But that's not the case. In, in the, by the end of this issue, Carrie has chosen her own costume. She's chosen her own name. She's not being defined directly by Bruce's will anymore. Yeah. Which, all right, that was kind of They're positive. operating more at equal level than her just simply saying, where are we going tonight, boss? Yeah. So that was kind of encouraging because a lot of people 
right from the beginning in Dark Knight says, oh, that Batman's a fascist. I'm not sure I agree with that in Dark Knight. It was definite darkening of the character. Well, even he in this book, I think, asks some questions about, you know, he talks about tyranny and and dictators, and then he wonders how he himself would be perceived. <laughs> yeah, that, which is a question people have had right from Dark Knight Returns. Right. Yeah, you know, as he's assembled his private army in the Batcave <laughs> when everybody thinks he's dead. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I certainly think over the course of a few stories, he's gotten more militaristic, and it's nice to see that lighten up. I stand by the Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. How much of that is just nostalgia, and it was a formative story for me, I don't know. But yeah, it's good to see here that he's softened up. That's the positive. <laughs> uh, the negative is... Miller and Azzarello just completely fuck up and misunderstand Superman. Yeah. Arguably for the second time in the course of Dark Knight Returns. I had no idea that the Superman that that Superman had so much in common with the Midnighter. And that's the thing. It's, there's no reason to say that. We have a a long sequence in this book where Batman is impressed at Superman's physical cruelty and ability to just inflict damage on Kandorians and to the point where Batman says, I thought I was an expert on dispensing pain. Clearly, I'm still a student. I'm like, what? (laughs) This is Superman. Yeah. (laughs) Superman is... Who the fuck trains Superman how to fight? The the Space League of Shadows? No, he's got these powers and Superman is... (laughs) It's it's like Miller has tried to have it both ways. It's in Dark Knight Returns. Oh no, Superman is just a smiling Boy Scout stooge for the establishment. It's like all these years he spent lecturing Bruce about his choice of combat tactics, you know, dispensed with a wagging of a finger and and a stern look and then he goes home and beats off. <laughs> Yeah, beats off and just studies it. And yeah. <laughs> the, somewhere there's a big half kryptonite dummy that's just, it's got tooth marks in it, and, <laughs> you know, d- uncomfortable stains on it. It's, and it's it doesn't make any sense. It's literally he's trying to have it both ways. Oh no, over here he's a Boy Scout and over here he's, you know, Clark Kent assassin. <laughs> it's, it's completely tone deaf. I don't understand how you come up with that interpretation of Superman except well, I need to find a way to knock out these four Kandorians, and I've only got two pages. Right. So surprise, uh, Superman has trained with Bruce Lee, which yeah. may be how he beat Muhammad Ali in the 1970s. I don't know. I never read that. That struck me as a <laughs> cynical money grab even when I was five years old. But it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, especially when shortly thereafter it's, it's demonstrated that you, you could just have the Atom show up and make them tiny. Which I, I thought was a reasonable way to dispose of that threat, but coming on top of Superman Butcher. Well, but that's the that's my point. You didn't have to show Superman as Butcher. You could have just jumped ahead. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't see what the goddamn point is because it really it fucks up the story in its own way, and in its own way it fucks everything up. Back to Dark Knight Returns. Well, he also does it in front of Lara, who he's supposed to be trying to show. You know. There's a better way to to be a protector. You know, you don't want to go to go down the path of the Kandorans. You you want to embrace humanity and learn from them, and and part of that is is compassionate dispensation of justice. <laughs> but the other part is Krav Magar. Which <laughs> doesn't make any. 
it, it, it causes problems in the story itself. Even if we assume that Batman legitimately has softened a little bit now that he's young again, Superman's just basically demonstrated he is legitimately the most dangerous being, not only on the planet, anywhere near the fucking planet. Mm. You know, so we've got Ninja Superman, who has his common law wife, Wonder Woman, <laughs> and his daughter, Lara, who has already proved she doesn't have any particular love for the human race. Superman's little display should have really strengthened Batman's resolve that Superman needs to be put in check. He really should yeah. have doubled down on that. I can't imagine the logic here is almost like when you go to prison, find the meanest guy and kick his ass. Yes. So Batman, he's, he's the meanest guy and he got his ass kicked. So now he has to, he didn't even get his ass kicked. He watched some other guy get his ass kicked. Yeah. So he's like, oh, you must be four square for humanity again. What, what told you that when he started shattering ribs? And, well, because they weren't humans' ribs. Well, I guess, <laughs> but yeah, and Batman, he should be double fucking terrified because now that he's seen this, that means that his fights with Superman in the first and second Dark Knights, that means Superman threw him. Yeah. That means Batman, he really should be sitting there going, shit, I never had a chance against this dangerous, murderous person. <laughs> Who who could destroy anybody in his path? I have just completely seen and been convinced of. Instead, we get Bruce saying, "Whoops, guess I was wrong about Superman." Why? Because he can explode a scrotum as effectively as you can? That doesn't fucking make sense. And frankly, a DC universe where Superman, Superman is the most effective scrotum exploder, uh, that doesn't sound like a pleasant place. To- me to live. I don't think I want to go there. I don't know that we can use Scrotum Exploder as our title this week, but <laughs> if we could. <laughs> I, I, that's not what I was going for. I mean, Jesus, you, you read this in the Dark Knight universe and you think, fuck, Jeff Johns thinks Dr. Manhattan is what made the DC universe a dark place in the 80s. So we had a t-shirt like up on like Cafe Press or something, second most effective Scrotum Exploder. Uh, I guess it's possible. <laughs> No, I never considered us a, a podcast worth doing merch for, but why not? It's like the that's like a participation trophy. If, like <laughs> if you want a second best scrotum exploder T-shirt from the Crisis on Infinite Midlives <laughs> show, shoot us an email: Crisis on Infinite Midlives at gmail dot com or message us through Facebook. If there's a demand, I'll get a package of Hanes and a Sharpie. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that might work too. We'll just hand draw them <laughs> like shitty old T-shirts. From Old Navy, it's like you got last year's blue T-shirts. Great, would draw an S on them and put scrotum exploder in a sharpie. What's the S on your chest stand for? <laughs> Funny not, story. Not hope. <laughs> not hope so much. <laughs> oh, it, yeah, it's just, it, such a goddamn tone deaf interpretation of Superman just to advance the goddamn story with just the the dumbest reaction to it. <laughs> Yeah, plus for bonus shits and giggles, we get badass warrior monk Green Lantern just disappearing Kandorans in the first two pages of the fucking book. Yeah. There there are no real heroes <laughs> in DK3. <laughs> they just aren't. No, that's... No. And it, yeah, the only thing that redeems Superman, to go back to the mini-comic, is yes, the reader has the information that Superman has withdrawn to be Clark Kent again and embrace his humanity and has convinced... Lara to do the same thing and to learn what it means to be part of humanity. So that redeems it somewhat. 
But again, the problem with that is that takes place off camera from the main story. There's no way Batman can fucking know that. Right. As far as Batman and anybody else is concerned, Superman just vanished. You know, after he physically crippled a bunch of Kandorians just to show that he's far more dangerous than anybody else in this fucking version of the multiverse. Yeah. I have a question, uh, honestly, in terms I, of... I have many, but we'll, we'll go in with In terms yours. of also people who are dangerous and, and, and still appear to be on the board. So, um, one-handed Green Lantern uh, appears from the desert to take care of a certain group of, of Kandoran women who are about to attack Lara and then just disappears. What happened? <laughs> Where did they go? The implication that I took is uh, he just wished him into the cornfield. Okay. He can do that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's another storytelling problem. Yeah, exactly. As I'm saying, I, I don't recall that as being in, in Hal's skill set. Yeah, well, particularly the Hal of the Dark Knight universe, who is just a big, dumb, vain moron. If you remember back to All-Star Batman and Robin, where <laughs> in, in perhaps the dumbest issue of that particular story, uh, Batman and Robin paint an entire building yellow <laughs> including, oh, we'll only drink lemonade to deal with the yellow weakness of Green Lantern. Yeah. And Robin almost kills him. That yellow weakness, I mean, that would mean every time that Hal goes to take a whiz, he's, he falls over crippled in, in the bathroom or something. Only like, if he really likes asparagus. Like he, he can't deal with Mountain Dew. Like, <laughs> Curses, you drown me in Mountain Dew in my own urine. <laughs> What a way for a hero to die. <laughs> Pikachu is like his worst enemy, not Sinestro. Yeah, look, there's a reason they got rid of a lot of that shit back in the 80s. <laughs> it didn't make a hell of a lot of sense. It it was as, it made as much sense as the original Green Lanterns, the Golden Age Green Lanterns' weakness to wood. Mm. He's got the most powerful wishing magic ring in history, and you can beat him to death with a baseball bat, and there's nothing he can do about it. <laughs> Just tune him up. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, that's a storytelling weakness. I had to infer that Green Lantern was just using lethal disappearing force on these four Kandorans. Kandorans? Kandorians? Yeah. I've written about down both ways, and I just didn't bother to Google it. Frankly, this the story didn't seem like it required that much research before doing the show. Yeah. Uh, Kandoran. Kandorini. <laughs> you mean her? Are you a Candorian or a Cantorian? <laughs> Just oh, never mind. I'm not pushing that button. You've done, <laughs> you've done nothing to deserve me pushing that button. Don't push that button. <laughs> I know what they are. What a bunch of a holes. Yes. What they are. Yeah. Now that we're at the end of DK three, the whole thing just feels like it was inessential. Now, frankly, Dark Knight Strikes Again. This was better than Dark Knight Strikes Again. I'll give it that. Yes. That's not exactly the highest bar in the world to get over. But it gets over it. It makes Holy Terror look like garbage, but Holy <clears throat> Terror was really, garbage. really taking care of that on its own, yeah. Uh, look, this thing is trying to play in the same sandbox as Year One and Dark Knight Returns, and those are stories that change the entire interpretation of Batman for a generation. Right. You know, this DK3, it's just fucking around with Superman in a way that, particularly thanks to DC Rebirth, it's not going to get past this issue getting shoved into a long box. It's This is not a story that we needed. And it concluded in a way that just completely ham-fists dealing with Superman. 
and really kind of shows, all right, maybe maybe Frank never really had a handle on any of these characters all that well. I, I never had the sense that he had a handle on any of these characters particularly well. <laughs> I, I would say for a period of time between, say, March 1986 and uh, October 1987, he had a handle on Batman that nobody else did and changed the character forever. Yes. I will put, I will still stand by Dark Knight Returns in year one as deserved classics. And then he should have moved on and just stuck with the Rusty and the Big Guy and Sin City and just keep doing your own properties and leave this alone. Because, yeah, this was, again, better than Dark Knight Strikes Again, but so what? <laughs> yeah, no, Dark Knight Returns is definitely Miller's jagged little pill. <laughs> That's a cold statement. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Miller's Jagged Little Pill. You should write that down, too. <laughs> so, yeah, ultimately, Dark DK3's over. The trade will be out soon, and I'm sure if you want to try it, uh, borrow it from your library. Because <laughs> I can't see buying this one. I, I've, I've read it. I'm good. Okay. I'm good. But let's move to a better book. A surprisingly better book. Because I just sort of picked it up because it was there. I didn't expect very much of it because... Yeah, ultimately it's a movie tie-in. It those is are, very much a movie tie-in. And those are really hardly ever great books, but this one was, it's not a classic for the ages, but it was solid. So Wonder Woman, in, Steve Trevor special number one. In which Steve Trevor promotes synergy. <laughs> like a boss. <laughs> uh, written by Tim Seeley, which uh, probably is part of why it's better than yes. its ilk uh, should be. Art by Christian Duce. What kind of parents would name their kid that? I think. Um... <laughs> Somewhere there is a dink who is filled with rage that the credit panel for this book says it's Wonder Woman's boyfriend, Steve Trevor. <laughs> Probably of the ilk of the original antagonists in the first three or four pages before we get the first Wonder Woman Oh, uh, but it's a cute appearance. nod to Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. I know. And it's safe to say that guy's not complaining to his girlfriend. <laughs> but either way, um, yeah, this is a far better book than a one-off tie-in to a movie about a supporting character. Right. It's really better than than it should be. It really extends... Well, first of all, what was... One thing I liked, it, it, it extended Steve Trevor's characterization far beyond what it was in the New 52 for five yes. years in just one book. Now, in New 52, it was he was Diana's UN liaison and a poor schmuck who was in love with her from afar. And that was basically pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Despite, uh, what was it, Team 7, the Justin Jordan book that tried to make a thing out of early Steve Trevor uh, and early Amanda Waller. Amanda Waller. It's That was basically Steve Trevor. It's, uh, okay, uh, I'll be over here beating (laughs) off (laughs) Wonder Woman's fucking Superman and (laughs) Superman is clearly a warrior ninja and I'll never beat him. (laughs) Oh wait, I'm mixing my books. But yeah, it's a, this makes him a proactive member of Argus and this sort of side group, the Odd Fellows, who amounts to the Howlin' Commandos of the, uh, of the Wonder Woman movie. And uh, yeah, just actually gets things done and he's actively with Wonder Woman like the old, old days, like even before uh, even before Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right. Uh, that's the last time I think he was actually with, with Diana. Right. Yeah, I mean, any impressions an, you got? It was an enjoyable book. It... It set up this other villain, Saturna. Yeah, which is not what I'm familiar with. I don't know if... I'm not familiar with that one. I don't know if she's been around forever or what, but... 
But I, I now looking forward to when she inevitably returns based on the ambiguous ending they gave to the book and gets into the Wonder Woman world a little bit more. Yeah. I think that, I think that she'll be a, a worthy adversary for Wonder Woman, but clearly is, is weak enough that she can be taken out by Steve. So <laughs> Now Steve is a trained soldier with a, <laughs> with a certain crew behind him. It, it, and it literally is just the three characters from the movie, except brought straight into modern times with yes. no nod toward any previous history. It's a Charlie Samir and Chief. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Charlie's big problem is that he could be having an episode of post traumatic shock at any stress at any time. Yeah. Or, and and he stopped drinking for the moment, so they were really worried when he was going to actually use the gun because he's supposed to be a sniper uh, because you know he couldn't stop his hands from shaking. <laughs> well, and that was straight from the movie. From the movie, yeah. He, he was a savage drunk, yep. uh, and they even try to. I hate when they try to do certain accents. In, uh, in in comics, they write them out phonetically. Yeah, it, even even Cassidy and Preacher, they uh, they didn't generally, generally. descend into that. <laughs> uh, but but yeah. I, this this book also has a has a good sense of humor. The these um, pro dude Mennonist terrorites. If you say it wrong, that's like Mennonite, and you know that those aren't terrorists. So God, God I hope not. <laughs> Mennonists. <laughs> that's not a thing that are that are wearing these t-shirts that say xy on them and if you look at it just from the wrong angle it looks like they're sponsored by ky which i thought was funny <laughs> which is probably more accurate <laughs> let's lube up for battle yeah but but even then it, it sets a tone of you know oh the anti-women and places steve trevor in a particular in a particular area of being against that kind of mindset yes. so it's it's Kind of a, it's a little ham-fisted, but relatively clever way to show where he stands on on all of this, I guess. Yeah, uh, and apparently, spoilers, it's with a lot of guilt because you know, he ultimately feels as though because he found Paradise Island and brought the the troubles of the world of man to it, you know, he is not deserving of Diana. And in this book, he finds another similar paradise and. All that's done by that is is leave it open to you know corruption from the the world of man. It's a it's a world of children, perpetual eternal children, which to me doesn't sound like paradise so much as hell. <laughs> now now, <laughs> depending on your habits, uh, we are firm members of that society as we sit in the basement talking about comic books. No, oh, they say that they can cure your owies. I gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta go. Yeah. My little what you'd like me to read? Yeah, I got this thing, and I'm going to grow old and die because of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that guilt feeling I thought was the best part of the book, because that's not something I've seen in the... And I am not the world's biggest Steve Trevor fan, Somebody somewhere must be, and I'm guessing they don't even know it. If you're the world's biggest Steve Trevor fan, which I think might be only slightly better than being the world's biggest Cyclops fan, <laughs> reach out to us. There are no Cyclops fans. Cyclops <laughs> is truly terrible. I, I like to imagine the world's biggest Steve Trevor fan doesn't know it because they're just sort of in a mindset of Steve Trevor. Yeah, he's all right. He's pretty cool, I guess. And that's like the world's biggest Steve Trevor fan. <laughs> like, like has a... Has so, an active opinion about Steve Trevor. If you think that you're the world's biggest Steve Trevor fan, reach out to us because you know on the, on the t-shirt front, I will get a, a package of Hanes and a Sharpie, <laughs> and I'll write for you, Steve Trevor. Fuck yeah. <laughs> well, Steve Trevor has never done anything to make anybody a fan. <laughs> the only thing I remember about Steve Trevor was from I think it was 
Yeah, because it was when they modernized Wonder Woman. Because the first couple of seasons, or the first season, I think, of the Wonder Woman TV show, and I'm going way back, uh, was set in World War II. And then I think they modernized it, and that's when I remember seeing it. And I just, I don't even know why I remember this. There was one scene with Steve Trevor, and he was, uh, I think he was a hostage from (laughs) neo-Nazis. And Wonder Woman kicks the door down, and Steve looks up and says, I burn my family alive, and I like to light things on fire. I went a long long way for that one. (laughs) Like, oh, where's he going with this? Like, oh, oh, sound cue, sound cue. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know what possessed me. This is your design. <laughs> no inside jokes. No inside jokes. Not an inside joke. It's a, it's, a, it's a reference to Hannibal. But yeah, that's. I don't remember a fucking thing about Steve Trevor. I don't know who the world's <laughs> the world's biggest Steve Trevor fan. You forgot about Steve Trevor like you forgot about Dre. Oh, God damn it. You're going to get us killed. Stop it. (laughs) Uh, But yes, to get back to the actual comic now that I've derailed this completely (laughs) just so I can play that stupid sound clip. uh, The fact that Steve Trevor feels guilt about spoiling Thymascara. Yes. It's not a thing I think I've ever seen before, and it was really an interesting take on that character. And it was it was a big broad way to bring that front and center in this particular issue, but I thought it worked really well, and it it really deepened a character that, yeah, is not the world's biggest Wonder Woman fan in the world, has always been about as deep as a urine sample to me. <laughs> I love Wonder Woman. <laughs> Herder. Yeah. It's, okay, good for you. We'll give you a pat on the head, and... <laughs> Maybe Team Seven, you can do what? No? Okay, okay. Well, well, you'll show up now and again when we need somebody to talk to Wonder Woman, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, it turns out uh, Superman's fucking Wonder Woman. We don't need you at all anymore for two <laughs> or three years of New 52. Um, we need to get our fanboy ship on. <laughs> yeah. But it's it, it did a reasonable job of, yeah, bringing in the movie characters and making them part of the DC universe. I think... You know, Charlie and Samir and Chief, for all I know, they are long beloved members of the Wonder Woman family going back to the Golden Age. I have no idea. I, I think they're straight from the movie. Yeah, I think they um, are. And you pointed out as you were reading it, it's like, oh, bringing them straight into it. I'm okay with that because yeah. we've, we've talked a million times. You know, you look back to how DC handled their movie properties not even 10 years ago, 2008, The Dark Knight was the biggest movie in the world. <laughs> Yeah. And in, in the comics, Bruce Wayne was fucking dead. Right. I, I think there was no Batman. I think we were maybe going into battle for the cowl. Yes. When Batman is the biggest movie in the world. I've been reading comics for 41 years. If bringing movie characters into the comics, it's not going to get me to stop reading comics. Right. You know, fine. Screw up the continuity a little bit. I'll be fine with it. But if it helps bring in a couple of new readers, I'm all for it. So, sure. yes. I'm fine with bringing that in. The The Wonder Woman characterization kind of played up she wasn't in the book a lot but played up the fish out of water aspects yep uh, you know that that whole i i wish to go on a date and, <laughs> and have wine and uh, mild and touching sexual and sexual attention ten- <laughs> you know a woman can ask a man for wine and sexual attention but you ask one woman for beer and a hand job and you're the bad guy I, well that's because then it's not sexual tension at that point then it's it's it, it jerk is. me off <laughs> i have needs and if afterwards you could bring me a sandwich <laughs> Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. He was wrong and you knew it. Okay. <laughs> Called not di- uh, not me on the wet spot. Like <laughs> I'm just not going to stop. I'm backing away. <laughs> we should back away I, from I, this. <laughs> they got my dick message. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty good book. Pretty good one shot. <laughs> 
It is. It is. And it and it leave and it does even though it's a one shot leave the end open enough that we may see some of these characters again, which is cool. Yes. So yeah, and, and I was surprised. It's, I picked it up because it's like, uh, all right, it, it might be something to read on the turlet. <laughs> but it was better than I thought it was going to be. Well, all right. Here's one that uh, I'm not sure was or not. I'm really of mixed feelings about this book. I believe uh, I brought this book da- to you downstairs on Friday evening, and I said, well, we need to talk about Bat Crotch. Yes. Uh, <laughs> let's start with uh, Batman 24, uh, <laughs> written by Tom King, art by David Finch. Uh, yes, with a uh, a cover by David Finch that, yeah, if you attack it with a ruler, which Amanda did, but please, go ahead. You know, you shouldn't have to start your morning on a Sunday whipping out a ruler and measuring Batman's crotch, but I found myself doing that because <laughs> it's literally as big as his head. The proportions for what Finch was going for here are frightening, truly frightening and and when people were bitching about the i think it was kenneth rockefort teen titans cover where cassie sandmark's boobs were as big as her head yes um this this is also just a a celebration of excess (laughs) that is beyond the pale and into the fantastical i I never thought i would reach the point where (laughs) where you say describe this week's batman for me for a ten dollar all you can eat testicle fest it's it, Either that, or he's Lucius Fox is whipped up like the the masterful like bat dance belt that makes him look <laughs> like he's ten inches uncut. <laughs> First of all, we don't acknowledge bat dance here at the Chris <laughs> Infinite Midlife Show. <laughs> That's I, I have a soft spot for the Batman nineteen eighty nine movie, but not the soundtrack. Okay. Second, uh, yeah, it's and the problem is once you see it, you, you can't, can't unsee, unsee it. it. Because yeah, his dick is like isn't it centered on the page? It, pretty much, it's it's slightly below center. It's a, it's it's, the... it's as though like he wants to be in the center, but the gravity of his dick is just pulling it slightly below. <laughs> He's sinking center, yeah. into the earth as if onto quicksand and taking <laughs> Selena with him. <laughs> no, we all which knew. you know um, spoilers. He he proposes to Selena, so you know it's kind of a metaphor. <laughs> I, I guess she's not gonna be able to walk based on that picture but <laughs> all right so yes beyond the cover which is uh beyond the cover which is strange and uh <laughs> terrifying <laughs> fantastical so yeah batman pops a question and so do i why exactly are we doing this <laughs> I, i'm not sure all right first of all everything that you have said amanda yes uh, about emo batman for the past year that tom king has mm. been the main writer on this really comes into crystal clear focus in this issue. I get exactly what you're saying, and I really am not entirely sure how I feel about this. I'm this just is... saying I know a mopey bitch when I see one. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> but yeah, this is a weird issue in that there are, there are significant obvious flaws, which I will call out, and I'm sure you will call out, but the overall where the story's going with, yes, spoilers, Bruce Wayne, as Batman mm. proposes to Selena Kyle as Catwoman, they know each other's identity. But yes, there's a proposal of marriage. I'm not sure how I feel about that. But before we even get there, we get this long interaction between Batman and Gotham Girl that is ostensibly about whether Gotham Girl is going to remain a superhero. But yeah, it's a big mopey emo speech that basically comes down to Bruce's Batman. Because he's afraid every day. Yes, but it's his attempt to also try to be happy 
but it doesn't work. It doesn't make him happy to be Batman. And I'm reading this. I'm like, oh, so that's why I've wept my way through three Rocksteady Batman games on the Xbox. Because nothing sucks more than being a millionaire crime fighter. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it was really... At least Tony Stark had the honesty to crawl into a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> drink, drink up, bats. For Christ's sake, I'm buying. Come on over. Oh, take some Ativan, something. Yeah. A large part of King's run, uh, right from his first issue, has has been exploring exactly why this adult person, Bruce Wayne, is Batman. And he has done a couple of issues that, and we don't necessarily agree, but he's done a couple of spectacular issues exploring certain parts of that. This is not necessarily one of them. No. But... Each the the first problem I had with this particular issue is most of those other stories that I enjoyed, these revelations and explorations came as part of the action, and there is no action That's in this a, book whatsoever. Another talky book. Yeah, the first fourteen pages or so of this book is Batman having an existential argument with a teenage girl in a spandex skirt. And that's problematic on its own because all I could picture after a while was hearing a knock at the door. Hi, I'm Batman. I'm your new neighbor. And the court says that I need to inform you that I am. So it's just weird. And, and also, I know David Finch, he draws very well, but he draws a very specific thing. So to be having an existential conversation with a teenage girl while she's looking vacuously off into the distance on page three with this come hither look with her with her pelvis turned slightly to the side and her knee pointed out like a supermodel. Yeah. So what now, Batman? <laughs> I mean, what do I do now? Slow down, uh-huh. right? Slow down, right? I can't come. <laughs> yeah. Keep going. Just, Keep going. <laughs> just the the art has some miscues in here. Yeah, look, David Finch gives good pinup. Yeah. He doesn't do overtly sexualized stuff like a Kenneth Rockefeller or a Milos Minara or Greg Land. Or Greg <laughs> <laughs> He's certainly not tracing porno. No, I don't think. Um, but so, so yeah. There's a certain amount of that here, and a, a large part of the art in the first two thirds of this, before we get to the proposal, is literally just pinup shit. Yeah, they're just okay. Batman and Gotham Girl moving throughout Gotham because it doesn't matter what they're doing. Yeah, there could be no art whatsoever for the first two thirds of this book. It's it's like a fucking because it's like a. Beckett play with capes. They're just waiting for Batman. These two people just having conversations, trying to figure out what the others mean. And yeah, there are some nice pinup shots, but yeah, this is even more difficult to draw than like a Bendis, like four people talking around a table because it's just the two people. And yeah, there could really there could be no art in this. Just it's, just the captions. Page eleven. Do you like your life? Look at my butt. I mean, it's 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 her flying, but it's just it's mostly an excuse to show that yes, it is as short a skirt as you think it is, and look at her butt. Like it's <laughs> yes, but also looking at this page ten, it's this big pinup spread of Batman on a rooftop in the rain, looking at her butt. Because like, <sighs> I mean, it, it's not a direct like carryover, but if you look at where his gaze would go, yeah. But <laughs> also look at that page ten. He's standing in the dark in the rain. Page eleven, it's sunlight. So <laughs> this, continuity flop. Yeah, this is nothing but pinup art, and that's fine. You can do worse in this world than David Finch pinups. But it, it just actually, I think that, this is supposed to be like, later in the night. This is sort of 
this page 11 is a flashback to the conversation he had earlier in the day with Gotham Girl, and page 10 is he sees Selena in the distance, and he's going to track her down to make his proposal. Okay, so yeah, I guess the art does shift back and forth, but even that's kind of a visual storytelling problem. The visual cues are clearly there, daylight and dark, but it's not 100% clear. Right. Uh, that said, then page, I was, Page was, 12 is, look, I'm going to ape Miller. We have... Bruce and Selena with the lightning bolt leaping from yeah. somewhere. All right, yeah, you, you've got a point on that. The, the The story jumps in between this conversation, visually in between this conversation and Bruce finding Selena. But yeah, it's not 100% clear. It's clear enough. I will cop to a tremendous hangover today, which could be... <laughs> skewing my reread of the book when I uh, when I put together some notes on it. But yeah, for, for the most part, you, you can do that visually because what's happening between Batman and Gotham Girl doesn't matter. It's just the conversation matters. And for a visual medium like comics, nah, all right, that gets a little dicey. Um, and it, But at least there's one place where there is art. Finch has three panels. I forget which page it was, but three panels of Gotham Girl doing the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil move. Hmm. For no reason I can fucking figure out whatsoever. It stopped me dead and irritated me. I'm like, why am I seeing this? Yeah, let me see if I can find that. Yeah, was, I forget which page it was on. It was it was early in the first three or four pages. It, it felt like somebody, I don't know if it was that that was in the script or if he just if Finch took it upon himself to do it, but don't It's page 8. Yeah, it's a, don't be inscrutable for the sake of it. Cuz yeah, it's a for the see no evil, it's uh, what is it? Ba- what was she saying in those? What am I going to do, Batman, Bruce Wayne? And he's going to live as long <laughs> as you can. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're, you're saying the, the sexualization is really bothering you more than it bothered me. Well, it's uh, just, I get the it point makes, as it you're makes saying the, it. It makes the existential portion of it, either this is a deep conversation or I'm to believe she's doing this to look fucking cute because she's 17 and she thinks she can get away with it. Like, Yeah, it's... <laughs> I don't I don't know with that. <laughs> but yeah, the the see no evil here that stopped me dead. That's a why why are you doing this? I don't I don't get the point that you're trying to make here. And that's not a thing that you want in any story. <laughs> <laughs> I I guess the one positive I would give this is at the very least this seems to quickly get us past that plot point from the button, the the Watchmen storyline about whether or not Batman's going to quit just cuz his weird murderous flashpoint dad told him to. Right. Um, he flat out says, I don't think I can stop doing it. And in fact, there's there's a point in the conversation with Gotham Girl where Bruce says he never listened to Alfred. Right. So we can probably extrapolate from that. It means he probably wouldn't listen to his weird gun-toting father any more than he would Alfred. Know, until we get to issue 25 and, and now Selena realizes that every night she gets to listen to him fucking wax emo about his dead dad. <laughs> I just picture that. That meme cartoon. My <laughs> parents are dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I thought it, you were cool and brooding, but it just turns out that you're depressed. I, I could point you towards a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll have Bruce actually give up being Batman and go the full Tony Stark and his battle cry will be Where's my whiskey funnel? <laughs> so yes, the, the conversation part of this to start with was yeah, a little precious and twee and Oh, let's try to make big points uh, with this child superhero. That oh, I'm really talking about me, and uh, which is fine. It didn't work for me nearly as well as certain other issues that try to go into why Bruce Wayne is Batman. But then, yes, we get to the proposal, and I really, 
first of all, from a DC standpoint, you just got yourself out from under the Superman Wonder Woman shipping, and now you're going to do Batman Catwoman. All right, you think you can handle this? Because it didn't work out all that well last time. I remember the whole moratorium on marrying characters thing, and I remember being very outraged because, like, well, why can't you tell the story that you want to tell, especially if it involves, you know, two characters who have a long-running relationship finding, finally being able to to get married and get together. And now, now we have one here, and I'm like, eh. well, it's how do you feel about this? I, I I'm legitimately not sure how I feel about it. I. I don't think that it's going to come to fruition. I think they're going to realize ultimately that it's a, a bad idea on one side or the other. I'm, my money is more actually on Selena. <laughs> I, she seems like the realist in this situation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how it plays out, uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't think you can have a happily married, contented Batman. No. Somebody happy with their position in life doesn't put on spandex pants and kick juggalos in the back. That's right. just not a thing that happens. You would kill the book. I mean, um, unless they're looking at this as an opportunity, because I think Helena Bertinelli is still involved with, and I don't know that she's back as Huntress yet, or is she? I honestly, I'm not sure. Because if she's still involved with Spiral and all of that, if this is an opportunity for Bruce to knock Selena up and go the Helena Wayne route. Oh, God, I hope that's not the case. <laughs> That only ever worked for Earth 2 anyway. That was always sort of an alternate story. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, otherwise, this is uh, panic at the Batcave, I guess. Well, there are legitimate storytelling possibilities for at least beginning to explore this kind of relationship for Bruce. It doesn't have to go in the, oh, and now we're happily married. And, no, and it um, won't. Yeah, I mean, because Selena arguably is as driven as Bruce, and her drive puts her in opposition to Bruce. If she is as compelled to steal as Bruce is to fight crime, you've got some possible sparks here. You could do something really cool with it. You know, you could also fuck it way up because we've just seen in this issue Tom King's willing to write a whole book with two characters talking. Right. I don't want to see like the four issue miniseries of two characters negotiating their prenup. I think you can go really the wrong way with this. Two characters in couples counseling. Yeah. Like- <laughs> But it's if you think about it, if this goes and goes wrong, a romantically heartbroken Batman is potentially a very dangerous person, and you could have some really interesting stories yes. that we've really never seen before, I don't think, come from that. You know, we've had little things, like, oh, Silver St. Cloud over the years, and yeah. oh, God help us, yeah, that reminded me of... Kevin Smith's The Widening Gyre, and I don't ever want to think about that again. No. So, already we're treading on ground that maybe we should leave alone. Yeah, just back away slowly from that. Uh, Tom, just uh, Mr. King, d- don't smoke pot while writing the story. <laughs> it didn't work out for the last guy to try to give Batman a love of his life. No. And then there was, what, uh, the Jezebel Jet uh, love of the life story in Grant Morrison's run uh, yeah. that turned out she was trying to betray him all along, so... It's, well, it's also it. not when completely you, untrod ground, but it's not a thing you think of a lot. There are no classic stories. The kind of women he gets together with are generally bad news in some fashion. So if it's not Selena here, yeah, it's it's Talia al Ghul. It's <laughs> yeah, you could potentially have something, but it's not not ground we haven't covered anymore. And even if even if you wanted to go the full, oh no, Batman's broken hearted, you know. Four years ago, we had a story where Batman lost his son. Right. His son died, which you would think would, okay, we could have 
real sparks across four Batman books and you've got one writer kind of ignoring it and another, the only one who really acknowledged it was, uh, who was a Pete Tomasi in Batman yeah. and Robin. Who, but even that, it's like it went a whole supernatural bend where he meets Frankenstein <laughs> and it's not dealing with grief as much as it's dealing with, okay, grief via how do I bring someone back from the dead? Right. Which I guess is something comics are good for. But, and then you've got, you've got the main book where they're not even talking about it. It's, it's, it's really like, uh, Jesus, why? All I can think of is Zack Snyder. <laughs> Scott Snyder, where Scott Snyder, it really almost felt like he said, oh, we're doing, uh, Grant's doing what with Damien? Yeah, you know, I think this is the perfect time to do Zero Year and just completely pull the main title out of any ability to talk about this story until well, it all blows over. Snyder is actually on record as talking about how it's difficult doing anything with, with Damien Wayne because at the time, the character's age was very close to his own son's. So okay. the idea of any harm being visited upon a child that age was just something too painful for him to. But work it's with. Damien. Well, you know that would have been my answer too. But I didn't get up at the panel and say that. I mean, I love my cat, but if if Parker, I love Parker, but if a lion were attacking me, I could find the wherewithal to shoot for the face. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right, I, I I don't think I had heard that, so that makes as that that makes his wanting to get away from that entire storyline make more sense. I believe he also has a whole Twitter thread on it. I don't know how far back it is, but I, I know I've read it. I, I I probably should follow him on Twitter. <laughs> I don't do very much. I'm not... Uh, look, if if you've liked our Facebook page, you know, I, I don't... I'm not so good with the social medias. <laughs> I'm becoming an old man before my time when it comes to some of those. But yeah, all right, I guess that makes sense. The, yeah, it's you can do interesting things with it, and I'm certainly okay with diving deeper into Bruce Wayne's motivation for being Batman because it has, even since King has been writing it, yielded some great stories. You could have a story here that it turns out Bruce really is emotionally stunted to the day he watched his parents die, that he can't really commit to an adult relationship because his emotions are stuck at eight years old. Mm -hmm. We could find that, no, having seen my father alive... Uh, I, I'm grasping at anything that can try to give me a normal life, but I am obsessed in this other Batman direction and I'm just not able to negotiate it. Yeah. It could come out that he can't come unless someone's blasting his oversized, misshapen junk from the cover with a bullwhip. I don't <laughs> like, you can have lots of stories, but the key is any one of them, I hope it comes with more action. Or even fucking activity than was in this particular issue. Yeah, I mean, this, this rose to the level of some of the Bendis books with just, here's a conversation, and here's a continuation of that conversation. I think we're going to keep talking. The only thing that was missing was, was people sitting around a table. Yes, except I think any of the particular issues you might think of where it's like, oh, it's just people talking around a table. Somewhere, somebody throws a punch in one of those books. <laughs> Maybe not an alias, the original <laughs> alias, because yeah. that was much more of a private eye book, but it, it, Avengers, because oh, it's just everybody talking around the table at Avengers Tower. Somebody gets punched somewhere. Somewhere. That here, it's Bruce Wayne saying he's scared four or five times. Yeah, <laughs> which again, okay, I I think I see what you're trying to explore here, but I don't like the idea of my Batman being you know one punch deficit away from a panic attack on any given day. Yeah, it's I'm in a weird place with this because, you know, and it's weird coming from DK3, which also I didn't like, but at least there was action in it. It's like the it's like at the other end of the spectrum. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's like if you want to see Batman do anything other than you know, alas, poor Yorick himself in a mirror yeah. and make bad relationship choices, go to Detective Comics. There's still <laughs> shit going on over there. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Batman's a fighting crime over there. Oh, instead is he? Of, he can do that? Instead of his own heart. Oh. <laughs> so he's, not getting, he's not getting beat up like relentlessly either and, and just generally like lying around to take punches? Uh, far less so. Okay. Far less. I, I'm going to have to rename this button to Batman theme. <laughs> <laughs> One day I watched my parents die. <laughs> I hear that the killer is named Joe Chill. <laughs> Not Joe Cool, that's a Snoopy character. <laughs> Learn that the hard way. All right, that, <laughs> we'll leave it there. So, yeah, I'm really in a weird place with Batman. I, I like the idea, at least on paper, of examining why someone would do this and how you negotiate an adult life while also being a vigilante as part of all these super team, it's it, right. I kind of like that, but at the same time, it's still a superhero book. I'd like to see some superhero shit. Yes. <laughs> so yes. This particular issue, I gotta call it a bust. Uh, even though it gives us this great plot point that could give us store, but it's, I'm really gonna have to see where it goes from here. I honestly can't tell how I feel right now about this whole proposal thing. It's gonna depend on where it goes. But yeah, the issue that it appeared in. Maybe maybe Tom King said, you know what? In order for someone asking, will you marry me, to be the biggest moment in a superhero story, literally nothing else has to happen. Just people talking. (laughs) That's all. I don't know. As a superhero action comic book, this was not a very good issue of one. No. Uh, Where it goes from here, we'll have to see. This book really can only be recommended if you're a big fan of Gotham Girl's ass. (laughs) <laughs> I'm adding it to my polls. <laughs> Anything else on Batman, or do you want to go to the big surprise of the week let's before we the, wrap it up? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, yeah, this was one of the best books of the week, and I haven't been able to say this in a very long time, about The Walking Dead, number 168, written, as always, by Robert Kirkman, art, at all, as always, by Charlie Adlard. Yeah, this was for the first time in a really long time, just an unabashedly good issue of The Walking Dead. Yeah. And for the first time ever, I actually liked Negan. Which or, I have... Or, or I've, at least appreciated the character of Negan. I have such mixed feelings. So many feels, <laughs> as the children say. Yeah, well... <laughs> all right, then tell me about some of these feelings. Just sit I, down, pour yourself a drink, and tell Uncle Rob all the problems. I... I don't. Uh, I suddenly don't want to kill Negan, and and, <laughs> and now there's a void left in my life <laughs> that I think I'm going to have to fill with drinking. Oh wait, <laughs> I've got good wait. news for you. <laughs> you come to the right place. Yeah. Now I. You know what? This is Negan has demonstrated. You want to talk about a book where there was a lot of talking, where oh, yeah. it was successful versus a book where there's a lot of talking and nothing happens or nothing substantial happens, nothing heroic happens. Yes. But the one thing Walking Dead has that Batman didn't have was at least tension. They're on the edge of violence throughout this entire sequence with Negan. absolutely. So Negan steps in when this faction of the saviors that had been led by Sherry wants to get into a fight because Sherry died in the last issue after attacking Rick. 
Yes. So this new leader, is his name Mark? John. John. Has to be talked off the ledge, and Negan is the one to do it because he he remembers how things was. Was I can talk good, me? Yes. Yes. You have <laughs> podcast host. Yes, and he remembers how things were specifically good for him. Yeah. <laughs> but even in the course of that, also realizes where it was problematic and and why that's not a way that this society can can be anymore. And there was an interesting revelation. Mark, I'm sorry. Mark is the one that has the burned up fucking face. Yes. Um. Well, I always mix up with Dwight. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's the problem with a black and white comic book. And when characters are drawn by the same artist, sometimes they can look the same. Yeah, there are are times where, even though we've been reading this book since, what, issue seven? Right. uh, I have to go to the Walking Dead wiki to remember who the fuck people are. Yeah, but this moment where... Where Negan says, who wants to see me be in charge again? And the only one that comes and kneels down in front of him is Mark. <laughs> He's like, well, this is kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and, then, and then rightfully gives Mark a backhand and points out, to, this guy is a problem. We need to keep an eye on him. <laughs> yeah, that was a great moment. <laughs> um, but and then at the end where I always think of, of that song from the Buffy mu- musical where they're like, the battle's done and we kind of won. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's what this what the resolution of this issue feels like. It's like, all right, nothing blew up today. Yeah, but it's The Walking Dead, and that's about as good as you can probably hope for. Absolutely. So the kicker being that after they have the funerals and and people are are giving condolences to Rick over Andrea, um, which is a bummer for me. I I really liked the arc of her character in this book, even when other things were just going wrong and. Oh, yeah. Making me hate it. Yeah, particularly compared to her arc in the TV show. Yes. Um, but at the end of it, there's this moment where, you know, he's he's just not responding to anybody, even even um, Carl. Yeah. You know, dad? Okay, night, Dad. And, and he's left all alone, and he takes his jacket off, and then he takes his shirt off, and then he takes his prosthetic arm off. And I really had this moment of... You want to talk about a book that remains tense until the very end? I'm like, is he going to finally kill himself? Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I had, I had that same moment. I'm like, now put your hands together for the man who's falling apart before our eyes. And then he goes and sleeps on Andrea's grave, which is also creepy, but also understandable. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I jokingly use the children's term, the feels, this book has all the feels. <laughs> it, it does. It's to go back to Negan. Why that scene worked as well for me is this is the first time really ever since the character was introduced, excuse me, back in 2012, that I realized he's had any kind of arc. This character has been an unrepentant douchebag since we saw him in issue 100. There have been times where he's been a helpful douchebag, but it's always... Self-serving. Yeah, he's going to turn around and make it about him. He's going to try to seize power. And this is the first time where he maybe legitimately had a chance to do it, and it was specifically demonstrated this character has had a redemptive arc. Now, that's cool, and it was good to read, but it's not a good sign that it's taken about, I did the math, 1,500 pages of comics for it to be clear that a character has evolved in any way, shape, or form. So this is not... You know, we, The Walking Dead is awesome again. I feel like it's been in a long, dry spell. Well, Redempted, and, and, and this, you know, it gives me questions for the the rest of, of where this book may continue. Redeemed himself, developed some measure of self-reflection and ability to 
demonstrate change right as it seems that the leader Rick is shutting down. Yes, but I would argue he is in a perfect position right this second to, if he wanted to push it, he probably could have gotten people to turn back to him. Yeah. No, no, and I'm not saying that, yeah, he could have. He walked up to that line and then stepped back. But if, as it looks here, Rick is is going to be in a dark place, not unable to function. And if you're sleeping on your wife's grave. <laughs> yeah, it's. And are, are basically nonverbal. It was, at this point, probably a year and a half, a couple of years ago, where it, it looked like Rick might be making a heel turn that I think we've backed away from, but I think it's certainly possible that we could have a story where, yeah, Rick is just played out. He's given everything he can. He's lost everything he can. And yeah, so Negan having had an arc that puts him in this position where he is more sympathetic and clearly has embraced at least seemingly clearly. And that's the hell of Negan. It seems he has embraced Rick's way of doing things, but five years of comics where he's dildo, 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 you can't really tell, but it could be a position where, okay, Negan is now in this redeemed position. And if Rick gives up and winds up getting killed, we can plug Negan in and continue. But it's, that's been the problem with this fucking character and the way that Kirkman has written him. Right. This is the first time you can even remotely say, yep, okay, he's made this journey. And even then, you can't really say it because of the way he's been written all this time. Yeah. But it, still, it, it worked for me because, it, yeah, it was the first time after all this time, I'm like, I, I would not have believed it. This character has changed. <laughs> but but it, the character has been so irritated. We have not watched a single episode of last season of Walking Dead. No. Because, at least for me, I can't stand Negan. I, and I love Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I think he's an inspired choice to play that character, but I can't stand the character. Right. So to have gotten to a point where, oh, Jesus, he may have actually gone somewhere, that's encouraging. It also makes me wonder to what degree Kirkman knows about that, because I think that the show has taken a ratings dip, and <laughs> he's trying to maybe bring some people back. I, I don't know, because uh, the show, I, I think, has lost some viewership. How much of that has to do with... Negan versus how much of that has to do with death the, of Glenn specifically? Yeah, the bullshit they did with Glenn and that cliffhanger of who gets killed. Yeah, in the first episode, I'm still not sure. I know spoilers. I think I know Glenn is one, but mm-hmm. I think Abraham is not Abraham. Not nah, well. I forget. Ab- Abraham dies, but I don't know that it's in that episode. I don't know. I have to go back and yeah, watch. Either way, yeah, we haven't watched it yet, but. So yeah, it's possible if Kirkman thinks, oh yeah, maybe too much, all maybe the all Negan Dick all the time show is not that entertaining. It, it's possible he decided. I'm not sure, and I, I hate to reward Kirkman for stringing me along with this two dimensional dick for five years, but the fact that he has this reaction in this particular issue, it did have an effect. So I guess all right, cool. Yeah, I don't know why I had to wait from. 2012 to 2017 to get that. But, I mean, in general, it really does, whatever the reason, it feels like Kirkman has been generally upping his game for the last few issues of this. You know, with that Whisperer story when it started out, uh, it was, okay, great, we got another dangerous group of lunatics with a charismatic charismatic leader that Rick's going to have to deal with. Fine, we've done that four times in the 
in the life of this comic will do it again, I guess. Right. But yeah, it's almost like in the last few issues, Kirkman remembered, right, you know what? I can kill some of these main characters, even if they're <laughs> alive on the show. Particularly Andrea, she's dead on the show. Let's um, do it. Yeah, yeah, in fact, shit, Kirkman used to do that all the fucking time. So mm. yeah, in between a main character getting killed last month, uh, it, it feels like Kirkman's maybe trying again. Yeah, although there's a, a, I think, significant panel in the in the funeral, which makes me wonder how much there he's trying to tie some stuff up here so that it's ready to go for the show because he's positioned right next to Michonne at the funeral. Yeah, but Michonne is in a relationship in the for comic. now. Yeah, true. I guess. So if they're if they're trying to start some hints of that, plus they're redeeming Negan. Okay, so that means that we've got whatever's going on in the show, then maybe a season of The Whispers, and then Negan is redeemed for the next season, season nine. I would agree with you, except for the fact that the show was on for a good long time before Andrea got the ick. I, yeah. Daryl has never shown up in the comic. I do think Kirkman has a legitimate... The comic is its own thing, and certainly for the TV show, we will cannibalize ha 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 uh, uh, pieces oh. that we that we want from it but it, it is its own thing so i'm not sure that's the direction he's going in it's possible i might just be cynical i would almost guarantee you nine out of ten people who walk into a comic store looking for walking dead comics probably get the first couple of trades and probably don't really continue i mean at this point there's like 28 or 29 of them yeah so that's it's a commitment <laughs> yeah, even if you get the the less expensive fifteen dollar trades, you know you're talking a chunk of change to really get caught up. Right. Uh, so there's probably no real need to say, okay, uh, I need to make the comic three years after the fact, or at least a couple years after the fact, map up to the fact that uh, Rick and Michonne are a thing on the TV show. And I don't think that's. I like to believe that's not the case. I yeah. I mean, he's certainly demonstrated that he's willing to keep them very separate. I'm I'm just coming off the heels of a Steve Trevor movie tie-in. <laughs> Yes. And this book has not been awesome for a while. It's right. it stayed on my pulls through inertia. And I still, you know, the new trade I get every six weeks. And I find a lot of times, yeah, I'll miss it on the monthly uh, and then catch back up in the, the trades. I will still, nothing about this particular issue changes my recommendation that at this point, you should probably consume this story in trades. I, Cause, I agree. Because we really are in soap opera territory here. This thing's got 14 years of history. We've got like three <laughs> different groups in multiple locations servicing this 14-year-old story. Like I said, I've, we've been reading it since almost day one. And yeah, there are times I have to go to the Walking Dead wiki. It's like, who the fuck is this again? And where do they come from? This series Which is, group is this? <laughs> this series is almost old enough to have an existential conversation with Batman. <laughs> but this series doesn't have as nice an ass. <laughs> So I would still say go with the trades, uh, but I would say definitely get this trade because, yeah, this has been the first arc in a while where it feels like some shit happened that mattered. You know, this last few issues is as good as The Walking Dead has been in a while, maybe since issue 100. So, yeah, I'm very encouraged. I was really surprised reading this issue. So I legitimately, unabashedly like this issue. Yeah. Plus, it had a two-page promo for the new mage in the back. I'd yeah. Give a, I'd give an extra half star to the fucking yellow pages if it had that in the back. But. Coming summer 2017, book three, The Hero Denied. Damn right. If there's a book I'm looking forward to, 
not to pivot away from Walking Dead, but so yeah, good issue of Walking Dead. The next trade when it comes out, yeah, maybe pick it up, particularly if you've not been in for a while. Yeah, uh, you'll you'll have to significantly use the Walking Dead wiki to catch <laughs> up. But but this is an actual good one. All right, anything else on this, or you want to wrap it up? I think we can wrap it up. All right. Don't know where you found this uh, particular episode of the podcast, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. Uh, we are on Facebook. Uh, you can find us there at uh, Facebook. What the hell is our site? Crisis on Infinite Midlives. Facebook.com. Facebook.com slash Crisis on Infinite Midlives. Who needs a beer? Oh, desperately, desperately. <laughs> um, and yeah, you can certainly send us a message through there. I've really got to start trying to do more with that. I'm just not very good with the Facebooks. It's okay. We're on Twitter. Twitter handle is at Infinite Midlife. Is that right? Yes. Okay. You got that right. All right. Uh, we're on <laughs> Tumblr, crisisoninfinitemidlives.tumblr.com. Uh, we are on iTunes. You can subscribe to the show through there. Uh, and if you uh, do enjoy getting your podcast through the Apple monstrosity, uh, do us a favor and give us a rating. Uh, give us a review. It helps new people find the show. Uh, we are on Stitcher Radio. We're on TuneIn Radio. We're on the Google Play uh thing <laughs> we're proud members of the comics podcast network and you can always email us at crisis on infinite midlives at gmail.com and yes if you want crude sharpied merchandise <laughs> send us an email and we'll look at the feasibility of <laughs> something that can be done rapidly with as little effort as possible i'll, I'll warn you all now that i i was um, a c student both in handwriting and art in elementary <laughs> school so uh we'll we'll figure something out <laughs> That was before I started drinking. Oh, yeah. All right. Speaking of drinking, I guess that is it. Um, this has been episode 152 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening. And derp. I can't stop looking at Batman's junk. It's It's, it's got its own gravity. <laughs> <laughs> it's got its own area code, oh. which is 000 if you get my drift. I need to go now. <laughs>